So today, um, I want to talk about this idea of progressive Christianity. Grace Point, um, if you've ever been to our website or ever watched a gathering, been a part of a gathering, you know that we say we are a progressive Christian church. And yet, if you do a little uh, perusing of the internet, what you might find is people say that's not possible. I see this all the time on, on Instagram. People use this hashtag, progressive Christianity. I follow the hashtag, and most of the posts aren't from progressive Christians. They're from people saying we don't exist. And every time I see a post that says progressive Christianity doesn't exist, I just kind of go, here I am. I, like, what are you going to do with me? I'm real. Our community is real. Um, our community is full of people who, now we're full of uh, lots of different people. There are people who are part of Grace Point who might say that they're atheist or that they're agnostic. Or, well, that, and that's fine. We have people who are part of Grace Point who feel an affinity toward Buddhism. That's fine. As a community, though, we, we kind of center around this idea of progressive Christianity. Many of us are. And so this idea that we don't exist just doesn't work. Um, and, and often people will say, well, the only reason you might become progressive Christian is because you read the Bible and you didn't like what it said. You read the Bible and you found things in there or you were taught things about the Bible, you were taught things about Jesus or, the, or, or what it meant to be Christian, and it was just too difficult, it violated your sensibilities, you just didn't like it very much, and so you're forging an easier path. I was actually accused once of becoming a progressive Christian pastor for the money, which I can assure you is not the case. And so is it possible to be progressive and Christian? Yes. Are we doing it because it's somehow an easier path? I don't know anybody who has gone through a, a process of unraveling their faith, deconstructing their faith, whatever language you want to use. One, I don't know anybody who's entered that process on purpose. It, it sort of has found us. And then I also don't know anybody who's gone through that process who hasn't also experienced great loss. Whether that loss was previous communities, previous relationships, family relationships, friendships, almost everybody I know who has gone down this journey is really grateful to have gone down it in many ways, but also carries with them the wounds of loss, misunderstanding, Often there have been uh, experienced hatred and, and frustration by people who, who see things differently than they have. This is, this is not a, a path we take because it's easier. It's a path we take because once you've sort of opened the box, you can't put everything back in it. It's a path we take because I, I would say, if we're using maybe older language that maybe we grew up with, it's a path we're taking because that's where spirit has led us. We're responding to an invitation. We're not bailing out on something difficult. I actually think that this path is the more difficult path. And I'm going to share a little bit about why. So I want to look at those two words, progressive and Christian, but I want to invert them. And I want to talk about Christian first and then progressive. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't know about you, um, but sometimes I feel like the need to put all kinds of qualifiers on it. Um, I have a friend in Arizona named Ryan Gear who's currently in a sermon series called Not That Kind of Christian. <laughs> and I think that just encapsulates for so many of us how we feel when we use that term, right? It's sort of like what happens to me when I'm on an airplane um, back when that was sort of a thing, and people would say, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to tell you I'm a pastor, because then the conversation gets weird. It's sort of like that with, with Christian, because when you say you're a Christian, people assume a whole lot of things. Uh, when, they, when you say you're a Christian, people might assume you have a specific position on 
marriage equality, for example, or that if you're a Christian, you have a certain position on the ability or uh, right wrongness, which is just unbelievable, of women in leadership, right? There are Christians who hold opinions. And so when you say, I'm a Christian, people might assume, uh, when you say you're a Christian, people might assume you voted a certain way, right? And so there's this idea of, I'm a Christian, but what does that mean? And I want to begin by saying, for me to say I'm Christian here at Grace Point, what we mean is we don't mean we're dogmatic or doctrinal. We don't mean that our focus is on getting our doctrine right or that making sure we have all of the right dogmas lined up and all of the right boxes checked. Lots of Christian experiences are focused on that. Having the right beliefs for many Christians is one of the most important things. Here at Grace Point, we just don't focus on that. And there's a really few good reasons why. One of them is, how do you know if you have all the right beliefs? How do you know? Well, probably because you think your beliefs are right. I don't know anybody who holds a belief and wakes up in the morning and goes, I know this is wrong, but I'm still holding on to it. I mean, the truth is we all believe our beliefs are the right beliefs. Um, But the other truth is we just don't know. I'm pretty confident there are things I'm wrong about right now, Uh, I just don't know what they are, so I can't change them yet. But my hope is when I'm aware of what I'm wrong about, that I'll begin the process of changing it because better information leads to better decisions. Um, So this idea, we're we're just not, like our goal is not to bring people into a room or a YouTube video. Our goal is not to get people together and make sure they can walk out of here defending the faith, to make sure they can walk out of here with the right doctrine and dogma memorized, as if the most important thing about us is what we Believe, and, and the reality is we're not even talking about actual belief. We're generally talking about like intellectual agreement or intellectual assent. Like, do you believe this? Well, yeah, I'll check that box because it's easier than actually having to think about it. I'll check that box because everybody around me expects me to check this box. That's not what we're trying to do here. When we say we're Christian, we don't mean we're an exclusivist community. We don't mean, and we'll talk about this in the next series, we don't mean that we think that if you aren't Christian or specifically Christian in the way we think you should be Christian, that you're in big trouble. Just this weekend, Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist monk, passed away. And his work and writings have influenced so many people, even people like me, people who were Christian, and yet we have benefited from his work. I think that's beautiful. And I have no desire, and Grace Point has no desire. When we say we're Christian, we have no desire to say, if you don't fall in our path, that you're somehow left out. I can remember growing up and hearing about um, uh, the Church of Christ denomination, which is uh, where I grew up in the Appalachians, the sort of the, the going, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just the, side, the, the assumption people made was that, that the Church of Christ believed only that Church of Christ people would go to heaven. And then... When I became Southern Baptist, what I realized is we thought that belief was silly, and we didn't just hold it the same way, but we definitely thought we were the right ones. And God may let some other people in because God's nice sometimes, but the reality is they weren't as right as we were. And we're not an exclusivist community. I think that if God is, then we should be able to find God everywhere, and that God is communicating and speaking to people in other religious traditions, and that God is whatever the word God points to. And by the way, that's what the word God is. The word God is not 
has no content. It points to some mystery that is greater than we can comprehend, right? And we're just kind of moving our, our way into mystery. I assume that whatever that mystery is, whatever that reality is, that reality interacts with, speaks to, leads, guides everybody. Of course, if we're open and willing to listen. But this idea that we have the right path and that nobody else has the right path, we don't mean that when we say Christian. When I talk about being Christian, I'm actually talking about a way. I'm talking about a path. I'm talking about a way of showing up in the world. I'm talking about um, a, a set of values that lead me to want to become a certain kind of person in the world. When we talk about Christian, we're actually talking about Jesus. And I think Jesus gets lost in Christianity. Right? We've turned Jesus, the Christian tradition, unfortunately, has turned Jesus into a means to an end. Jesus is the way to get out of the, Jesus is our get out of jail, get out of hell free card. Right? And so the only, and, and we're going to talk about Christian creeds later in the year, but if you go read the creeds, the creeds mention nothing about the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the actual good work Jesus does in the world. They just jump to, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And I think that bit we're missing, the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the example of Jesus, I think Jesus gets lost in the noise of the Christian tradition. Jesus gets lost in the noise of debates about his divinity. Jesus gets lost in the noise in Christian history when people are arguing about how many natures Jesus has. People, Jesus gets lost in the noise of doctrines and dogmas. And as progressive Christians, what we long to do is to go back and look at this life, to go back and look at the teaching of Jesus and the way Jesus showed up in the world and the kind of humanity he embodied. Because the thing for me that makes Jesus so compelling is not whether or not there was divinity. It's that this is a human life. A human life that transcends the boundaries, that tears down the walls of division between us and them, that, that quiets the fear about those people we're afraid of over there. That's the work of this life. When I talk about being Christian, I'm talking about loving my enemies. Y'all, have you ever tried to take that seriously? It's tough. It's tough. My natural, natural desire is to just get even most of the time. And yet there's this call to love. Yes, to love your neighbor. Yes, to love your friends. Yes, to love other. But specifically, Jesus says, love your enemies. I actually think maybe that in Christian churches that we could spend like the next 200 years just every week talking about that. And we probably still wouldn't scratch the surface of the challenge there. When we look at this life and the teachings of Jesus, we see compassion comes to the forefront. Jesus taught about and embodied a kind of compassion that he invites his followers to participate in. We see in Jesus this kind of generosity, this willingness to give himself away, this willingness to take a few loaves and a few fish and teach his followers that if you really want to change the world, don't hoard what you have. If you really want to change the world, get people together in groups Open up your basket, give them some bread, give them some fish, and tell them that this is what Eucharist is. This is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is sharing your stuff with each other. It's making sure that nobody goes to bed hungry. It's making sure everybody has a roof over their head. It's making sure everybody feels seen, loved, and known in the context of community. The, the way I see it now, 
being Christian is 100% about politics. And I, I know people bristle at that, but it's just true. Because politics, again, we've talked about this over the last several weeks, politics are about how we order our common life, how we make decisions about how we live together in community. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And I'm convinced that Jesus was a partisan when it comes to human flourishing. Like, Jesus always sides with human flourishing. He's willing to break the rules to bring about human flourishing. He's willing to transform systems to bring about human flourishing. He's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that human beings are fully alive and thriving. Again and again in the stories of his life, you see Jesus pushing people past their boundaries and borders in order to bring about human flourishing. That Actually, Christianity is about the transformation of the world. But in progressive Christianity, when we say that, we don't mean like the establishment of some sort of theocracy in the world, which is, it seems is what a lot of Christians want these days, a theocracy. And of course, the way that theocracy will be governed is based on their interpretation, right? Actually, that's not what we're talking about. The progressive Christian vision is a world that is transformed and a world of peace, justice, and compassion where all human beings, regardless of their label or lack of label, can thrive and flourish. That's what we mean in progressive Christianity. A world not where everybody becomes Christian, but a world where every single human life is full and free and abundant and flourishes in the beauty and diversity of God's world. When I talk about being Christian, I'm talking about that, not stale arguments of doctrine and dogma, but a path where you're invited to engage, walk, participate in, and when we do, that transforms us into showing, to being certain kinds of people who show up certain kinds of ways in the world. And then there's the word progressive. Um, and that's the, that's the word sometimes when you use it, people get a little bit wonky. It's a technical theological term, a little bit sideways. Like, what do you mean by progressive. Well, basically, here's what we mean. We mean always growing, always changing, and always evolving. That our understandings and perspectives grow and change over time because as we're given better information, as we're given deeper insight, as we have more experiences, then it changes our perspectives. I'll never forget somebody sending me an email several years ago um, saying, we missed the Josh from 2006. I was like, why do you miss that guy? That guy thought he knew almost everything. Turns out he was wrong about almost everything. That, that, that guy, like for me to be that guy, what that means is I would have had to stop. I would have had to hit pause on my entire life. I would have had to learn nothing new. Had no experiences. I mean, it would sort of be like um, I'm all the time taking pictures of my kids on my phone. And it would be like, sometimes what we'll do is we'll go back, and we're bored one evening, which rarely happens, but if we're bored one evening, just start thumbing back through and seeing pictures of our kids who are now getting bigger when they were babies, and just for a minute, sort of missing that. But can you imagine what it would be like if I looked at those pictures and when I took them, assumed that I captured my child fully? That at three months old, that's who they are. That at a year old, we finally have them completely captured. This is who they are. That at 10 or 12 or when they're 20 or 30, that if we take a picture of them, they're somehow frozen in time. What pictures do is they give us a snapshot of where they were then. 
but not where they'll be and who they'll become. And I think what good theology does is it gives us a snapshot at times, but it doesn't give us the full picture. That full picture is evolving and growing and changing. And I think this progressive tradition is actually taken from the scriptures. Um, We have a grace pointer. I think it was Barbara Wire who said this at one point. Um, but something along the lines of, I love that at Grace Point we don't throw the Bible out with the bathwater. Um, actually, the, the way many of us ended up becoming progressive Christians wasn't because we rejected the Bible. It wasn't because we let go of the Bible. It's because we actually started to read it. Um, for me, I, I didn't become a progressive Christian because I said, the Bible's tough, I want nothing to do with it. It's because I actually took the Bible seriously and started wrestling with it and realizing that so many of the things I was told was in there actually wasn't in there. And that so many of the interpretations were based on stuff that wasn't grounded in anything that people who actually study the Bible and scholarship say. And so for me, it was like, oh my goodness, there's this whole world in the Bible that I wasn't aware of. We we didn't actually throw away the Bible. Now, listen, some of you listening to this, watching this, whether it's live or whether it's 10 years from now, you're going to watch this and think, you know what, but I need to walk away from the Bible. And here's what I want to say about that. Please do. If the Bible has been used as a weapon to wound you and hurt you, if you have trauma and pain around the Bible, I am not going to tell you the best plan for you is to just pick the Bible up and start reading it again. It may be that you need a break, and it may be that you need a break forever. I don't know what that looks like and what healing looks like, but we're about human flourishing, not dogma. So if you need to walk away from the Bible, you don't need anyone's permission, but if you need somebody to say that's okay, it's okay. Christians were Christian for a very long time, before they had a Bible. It's, it's kind of miraculous that for like 300 and some years, people were following Jesus without a codified collection of texts that told them how to do it. And so if you need a break, if you need a pause, if you need to walk away, if you need a divorce, whatever that looks like with the Bible, then know that that doesn't diminish your faith and it doesn't diminish your journey and it doesn't diminish who you are. But what I always like to say is if you have grief around that, that you've lost the Bible or probably more likely the Bible's been taken from you, and you have grief around that, my hope is that we can help you come back to it in a way that's healthy and, and brings healing. That wasn't part of the sermon. That's just a, that's just a tangent. Um, but I actually think that our text invites us. I, I think our text reveals that the Christian tradition in its very essence and nature has always been progressive. Because the Christian tradition is born out of the story of this person, Jesus. And this person, Jesus, is somebody who said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. This is how you've always interpreted it. But I want to invite you to see it differently. This is what you were handed. But what if we reimagine that? And what if we turn it on its side a bit? And what if we rethink it? And what if we re-engage it? Our tradition, we have stories like Acts chapter 10, where this guy, Simon Peter, has this vision where he's told, actually, this thing we thought was only available to a very narrow slice of the human race, actually, what we're finding is that, that the divine longs to blow open those boundaries and borders so that every single human life can participate if they want to. This tradition has always been expanding. And over the generations, what we've done with creeds and doctrinal statements is we've tried to take this ever-expanding tradition, this ever-expanding reality, we've tried to fit it in our own little boxes and bubbles because that's comfortable for us. And because... Let's just be honest, throughout church history, that makes the most money. You can use that as a club to threaten people. You can use that as a club to exclude people. You can use that as a, as a weapon to coerce people. But it's actually not 
the way the tradition began. It began as this expansive experience, this idea that the divine is leading us in places we have never imagined, and it's going to continually teach us, surprise us, and ask us to change our minds. The word repent actually just means to change your mind. That's all it means. And so for lots of us, for me, this journey into progressive Christianity has been a journey of repentance. It's been a journey of repentance for the ego and pride I wrapped up in believing I had everything right. And it's a journey of repentance for the way I treated women in church leadership. And it's a journey of repentance for the way I treated and excluded the LGBTQ plus community. And it's a journey of repentance for the way I thought I had mystery conquered. And yet I was invited again and again by the Spirit to open my heart and to change my mind. To say we're progressive means that we understand this is an unfinished and unfolding tradition. That the brakes weren't hit when uh, the ministry of Jesus ended in the world. That the brakes weren't hit when uh, the Bible was finished. That the brakes weren't hit in the 1500s with, with the Reformation. That actually this is an ongoing process. To be a progressive Christian means we value experience over explanation. And here's what I mean. We celebrate the experiences of our spiritual ancestors while not always embracing their explanations of those experiences. Because sometimes their explanation of their experience was grounded in their own context with its own limitations. And listen, our, ex uh, our explanations of our experiences in a couple hundred years, people will look back and realize that our explanations were grounded in our, the limitations of our own context, knowledge, and, ex and experiences. That's okay. That's okay. We celebrate that throughout human history, people have experienced the divine and that those experiences were real and transformative. We just don't always embrace every explanation they've given for it. We've done this everywhere. We've done this with science. We've done this with human, human life. I mean, it was not that long ago that doctors were, were recommending that, that pregnant women smoke at least one cigarette a day for the health of the baby. We're not that far removed from that. So I think we just have to be open to the reality that maybe there's some things we need to change our minds on and that maybe the experiences are sacred and holy, but maybe every single one of the explanations is meant to have an expiration date. And that's okay. To be progressive means we approach this with courage. And one of the things I tell my kids all the time, and I think I'm saying it for me as much as I am for them, but courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is what you do with your fear. And the path of progressive Christianity invites us to courage. And it invites us to curiosity. It invites us to curiosity. Questions are the engine of faith. Doubts are the engine of human transformation. If we can't bring our curiosity, then what in the world are we doing? And so in progressive Christianity, we make space for curiosity, and we ultimately hold all of this with humility. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot that I know now that I won't know later, and there's a lot that I think now that's wrong. And my hope is for however long I get to be on this journey, is that I will continually be open to revisiting, reimagining, reflame, reframing, reframing, also um, with blowtorch, reframing, and, and then when necessary, even reclaiming my faith on this journey. But it is a journey, and there's twists and turns, and the scenery changes, and we change, and that's the point. To say we're progressive Christians means that we are people on a Jesus-see path. 
with the understanding that we are going to learn, grow, change, and evolve because this path is unfinished. And it actually isn't, our, our friend Brian McLaren has a, a book titled, We Make the Road by Walking. And I think that is a great image. We aren't walking a well-worn road. That, we, we've walked a well-worn road, and now we're facing all sorts of uncertainty. And so we walk forward anyway, knowing that there's change and transformation coming at every turn and bend. And that's not unfaithful. It's actually the most faithful thing you could possibly do. Changing your mind is deeply, deeply faithful. I love these words. I want to close with this from Vincent Donovan. He said, the day we are completely satisfied with what we have been doing, the day we have found the perfect, unchangeable system of work, the perfect answer, never in need of being corrected again, on that day, we will know that we were wrong, that we have made the greatest mistake of all. As a community, our hope, my hope, is that we never get to that point where we go, we did it. Mystery conquered. God figured out. Jesus perfectly embodied and understood. Church, well, we're just completely getting it all correct. No, no, no. Our goal is that there's always, always moments on the way where we're going, no, we can do better there. We can learn from this. We can change here. This could change everything if we just do the, yes, this continual openness to the journey following the Spirit in their wildness, wherever the Spirit leads us. Let's pray.